You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, probably verses many of us have read many times, uh, but I'll begin reading in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the what? Knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may, what? Know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And I had you read out loud those two words, knowledge and know, because the thought tonight is similar to what we dealt with last time, but we'll look at some more application, and that is the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the quietness of our soul are connected. The more we know Christ, the more peace we will have in our souls. And that's the idea tonight. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you bless our time together. We need you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, I'm, I've been going through this series uh, by a man named Jim Berg, Quieting a Noisy Soul, and, uh, and not because the book is so good, although the book is good, but because the book is based on God's truth. And, and so I, I feel like I need to clarify that uh, anytime I preach on Wednesdays, I know you're probably thinking it's not necessary anymore, but, but the reason that we can take a book like Jim Berg's book and we can go through it as we are is because he got his ideas from the Bible. Uh, he's not coming up with ideas out of nowhere. He, he, uh, he knows the Lord and he knows truth and he put it in a way that's been very helpful for many people. And so this, this series, this material, I find it to be very helpful. I find it to be necessary, especially when you consider the world that we live in. Because we live in a world full of anxiety. We live in a world full of fear and full of anger and a world that, that lacks peace. There's so much anxiety and unrest and anger and fear in people's lives and in our culture. And it's rising for many reasons. I believe a couple of primary reasons are is we're prone to sin. And sin produces noise. Uh, but second is most of our news is bad news, which contributes to the noise. Uh, I mean, if you turn on the news... Um, you will not hear, very, I mean, you compare the, the difference in, in, between those feel-good stories and the doomsday stories, and it leans very hard this way. Um, approximately 90% of all media news is negative. 
These are statistics that you could find. Headlines with negative bias show a 63% higher click rate result compared to positive ones. Um, the pressure is on on the news outlets as well. I read about a news outlet recently that, that for one day decided only to put positive stories on their, on their website and their website traffic dropped by 66% on that one day. Clicks equal money. And by the way, that reveals to me, and should to you as well, that the media is far less concerned about reporting the news than they are about making money. And so the reason that they present it the way that they do is because that's what people respond to. Clicks equal money, and it's no surprise that in the last couple of years, uh, the statistic I saw about a year ago said that 90% of COVID-19 media coverage has been negative. And uh, to quote an old journalistic adage, it says, if it bleeds, it leads. Meaning the, the more violent that it is, the more shocking that it is, um, those are the headlines that get people to buy the paper or click on the website. All of that combines then with the fact that people check the news uh, more often they, than they ever have. Especially when you consider that on your phone is, is a constant stream of news all the time. I read a statistic um, as well just this week that said over uh, two-thirds, about two-thirds of Americans get their news from social media. That trustworthy source, social media. And that repeated exposure, listen, that repeated exposure to the negative headlines and the negative news raises internal stress levels. It triggers anxiety. I don't know about you, but I remember when, when COVID was first blowing up and I was reading the headlines. I mean, I was lying awake at night. It's like, what is this going to turn into? What is this really like? And, 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 you know, we know now, and I wouldn't have responded um, quite that urgently back then, now if I knew what I know now. But, I mean, there's a fear-mongering going on. And, and, you, and you can't be fed by constant negative news and not have it affect you. There are plenty of statistics that back that up as well. It's not helping our anxiety. It's like that one friend or that one person that you're around and, and you can't be around them very much because they're always negative about everything. You know, it's not good for us. Uh, we, we tend to follow the patterns of the people we surround ourselves with. Uh, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future is the statement I like to use a lot. But, you know, the point of this is not to tell you to stop watching or listening to news, although that may be a good idea for some of you. Um, but, it, but if it has an adverse effect on your spirit, you might consider consuming less of it. You might turn the alerts off on your phone. It, it, it's presented negatively, deliberately. And so, I mean, personally, I would rather honestly read the news than watch it or listen to it. Because if I simply read the words, and, I'll, and that you'll ask my wife, that's how I consume the news. Because if I watch it, then their bias comes out in the way it's presented. If I listen to it, uh, that person's opinion comes through in the way they present it. But if I can read, and I know that happens words on a page as well, but if I can read the words on a page in black and white, I feel like I get a more objective read on what's really happening. But, you know, no wonder we're full of anxiety. No wonder we're full of worry and anger and, and the outward pressure of life is not helping our inward condition. And, and when we respond to outward pressure, the outward pressure, when we respond to that incorrectly, we find ourselves in noisy mode. It's a noisemaker. 
And it's nothing new for God's people to deal with pressure-filled situations. Um, every other week we've, we've been in this series, we started with David and we start with what he wrote. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Those thoughts, those are, quiet, those are anxious thoughts. Those are troubling thoughts is the word there. Uh, he talks about it in Psalm 40. Uh, he says, you brought me up out of an horrible pit. And that literally means a pit of noise. That's what he's talking about. De David literally spent seven years being chased by King Saul. Saul tried to kill him for seven years. Can you imagine the kind of noise that that would put on your life? Can you imagine how difficult it would be to sleep if every day you, know, you wonder where Saul and his men are going to show up? I mean, and that's not unique for David. I mean, many of God's people face noisy situations and pressure-filled situations. Think about Noah, the pressure of building an ark, and he had a timeline and a time frame, and and, and as he's building, people are coming by and they're mocking him and making fun of him. And, you know, the whole time he's probably anxious, wondering, am I doing the right thing? Is this really going to happen the way that God says it is? I think about jo Joseph. You think about noise in somebody's life. I mean, can you imagine um, the, all the nights he had to spend alone knowing that his brothers hated him so much that they sold him as a slave? I mean, all the nights that he spent in that prison cell knowing he was innocent. All the nights he spent in that prison cell knowing if someone had just remembered to tell somebody about him that he could have gotten out of that. Talk about noise. You talk about anxiety. You talk about fear. You talk about anger and bitterness and resentment. I mean, the, the pressure that some of God's people were under. Moses and leading millions of people out of Egypt and Jeremiah and, and, and nobody ever received his preaching positively the prophets um, Daniel Shadrach Meshach and Abednego the apostles Paul himself you name it God's people have always faced situations that if they don't respond correctly they're noisemakers pressure that just feeds and and builds and and weighs on you and the potential to trigger anxiety and fear and worry and anger, it's always been high for God's people. And I think it's probably just as high for God or for God's people or higher maybe because we know that 2 Timothy says, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you shall what? You shall suffer persecution. Uh, we're not promised an easy life. Nobody ever said it would, be, it would be easy and it'd be a life of ease and you wouldn't have any trouble. No, if you follow Christ, Jesus Christ had trouble. And it wasn't of his own making, we know that, because he's not a sinner. But he didn't have a place to lay his head at night. and He didn't have a place for shelter. I mean, think about all the trouble and the persecution and the, the number of times that somebody tried, tried to kill him. You talk about situations that cause noise. And so we read this passage in Philippians 3 as a starting point because these are the words of a man who had suffered beyond what we can imagine. He lost everything for Christ. And I don't know, I mean, I think about my life. I haven't lost everything for Christ. I mean, for the most part, most of us in this room, our lives probably look very similar I know not at the core, but probably very similar in many ways to what they would look like if, if we didn't have Christ. I'm not talking morally, and I'm not talking about, you know, situations, or, but as Americans, for the most part, we live pretty much like everybody else. You know, our decision to follow Christ hasn't cost us everything like it used to cost God's disciples. 
You know, Paul lost his standing um, with, in the religious community. He probably was written off by his own family. Uh, he, was, he suffered torture. He suffered persecution. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was slandered. And he wrote these words, these words right here in Philippians 3. He wrote them from a prison cell in Rome facing imminent death. So you talk about somebody that had the potential for, for noise. I mean, every day he woke up, he wondered, is this the day? I mean, every day he woke up, he wondered, he's thinking, I wonder who's going to throw rocks at me today. I wonder if I'm going to end up in jail tonight. I mean, in jail. I wonder if I'm going to die today. The constant persecution and danger could have easily produced worry and anxiety and fear and anger. The potential for a wrong response in Paul's life was high because the potential um, for, for pressure was high. And yet one truth motivated him right here in these verses, and that is this, the knowledge of Christ. He said, of all the things that I have faced... And of all the difficulty that I've had, the one thing that I need the most is to know Jesus Christ. Because the more I know Christ, the less I know noise. And Peter said essentially the same thing. I mean, you talk about somebody that could have had noise in his life, that, that could have dealt with, the, I mean, tough situations and lots of pressure. I mean, Peter could have. I mean, just the fact that he failed the way he failed. Don't you think that, has that ever caused noise in your life when you've made a mistake and you knew you blew it and you kind of sit up at night thinking about, I really blew that situation. Does anybody else ever feel guilty about things that you've done before that you blew? I do. Or here's Peter. And listen, my failures um, are not written in a book preserved for thousands of years for everybody to read about. I mean, they feel that way. I feel that my, like my mistakes were written across the sky and everyone knows about them, but that's not, that's not true. But Peter, his mistakes are written, we're still reading about them. We still talk about how Peter had his foot in his mouth too much. We still talk about how he failed Jesus on the night that Christ was crucified and, and, that he, and he blew it here and there. And then not only that, after those things happened, and I'm thankful for Peter's response to God's grace, by the way, because God used him in incredible ways there at the first church of Jerusalem. But even then, literally thousands of people, okay? Thousands of people coming into the church of Jerusalem. And he has a hand in being responsible for them and helping them. And then persecution begins. And now you're trying to help 50,000. I mean, some people say that thousands and thousands of people. And now he's trying to help them deal with persecution. I mean, he's trying to lead, help lead a church and help lead people and help be a, an encouragement and a witness. There's lots of noise. And Peter himself, we read this verse a couple of times, said, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. What does he say is the key? What does he say is the key to multiply peace? Knowledge. Now, no, not a degree, not a bachelor's degree, no, knowledge of God. You know, the greater your knowledge of God, the more abundant your peace. And if we don't have peace, we, we don't have, uh, our, we have a knowledge problem. 
That's where the disconnect comes because we tend to view God and, and I'm going to review a couple things here and then we'll get into some application but we tend to view God not as he is but how we perceive him to be. This is where our problem comes. See, there's a gap between if, if over here is the reality of who God is and we're over here with our perception of who God is, then that creates a gap between the two things. The reality of God over, is over there. My perception of God is over here. And suddenly there's this gap and it is in this gap between what I perceive and who God really is that unbelief takes place. Because in this gap, then anything can kind of work its way in and convince us of something that's not true. It's like, I, you know, using the example of driving in a big city. And if you leave any space at all between you and the car in front of you, cars just get in front of you. They get between you. You can't, I mean, it's so frustrating. But once they start moving over, you can't do anything about it. And you don't want to tailgate the car in front. I mean, if I've, dealt, if I've talked about this too much, just tell me. But it really is an issue for me. It's created a lot of noise in my life. But, you know, we do that with God. The reality of God is over here, but my perception of God is over here. And this gap, this unbelief, this is where the noise comes from. Our source of noise is unbelief. And in order to illustrate that, turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It's clear from Romans 1 that, that this issue causes lots of noise. Romans chapter 1, and we're not going to read all of this again because we've been through it, but if you read these verses, you cannot deny that God reveals himself to, to mankind. You know, a lot of people say you can't know God and there is no God or I don't know if there's a God and, you know, I'm, I'm atheist or I'm agnostic and, and I, I mean, I believe in their hearts, they truly believe what they're saying, but if I compare what they're saying to scripture, then I, then I have to dispute their claims, because according to Romans chapter 1, God has revealed himself to mankind through creation and through our conscience. I mean, and so just look at the words he uses in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. So that at the end of that verse, they say, who hold the truth in unrighteousness? They have truth. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. They do know it. They do see it. It is obvious. Verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. It's obvious that you can't look at creation and think, boy, that's just an accident. I mean, no more than you could walking through um, uh, the forest and you come across an old building and you, and you don't think, boy, I wonder how that just kind of grew right there. I wonder how, you know, what tornado came through and just kind of put that thing together. No, you see something with that much order and you have to think, somebody put it there. Well, the same thing with creation. Uh, look down in verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. So he says that these people, they, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Which is at some point, that means that they had the truth. You don't exchange something unless you have it in the first place. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Once again, we see that the knowledge of God is clear to them. It's there, it's present. And in verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. There's a lot of knowledge available if someone's just paying attention to creation. It's clear, it's manifest, it's out there. And if someone just wants to look, there is plenty of evidence. But 
This passage is about people that deliberately reject truth and exchange it for a lie. And when that happens, it blinds them and leads them down a path to wickedness, which only results in noise. So I want to start by looking at the last element here. I mean, there's many elements we haven't looked at, but one that, that I want to look at before we get into the rest of this. Look down to verse 20 again, Romans 1.20. It says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that... When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I mean, these verses make it very clear that, that mankind, if they have a conscience and they have creation, they are without excuse. Uh, because that, he says, when they knew God... See, the problem is not that people don't know God here. The problem, according to, to Paul, the problem is they look at creation, they see the evidence, they say there has to be somebody that put all of this here. They, they can't deny the evidence. They look and say, well, look at it. It makes sense. And it says, because that though when they knew God, when they looked at it and they saw this is evidence of God, they chose to not glorify him as God. So it's a deliberate choice that they know, knew God, but they chose not to believe that. There was not ignorance. There was knowledge of God. They just simply exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for something they wanted God to be. Their own idea of God that fits better with their own corrupt hearts. That's the idea here. It, one commentator said this, we can't seem to resist the temptation to create God into our own corrupt image or even an image that is beneath us. Tragically, we inescapably become like the God we serve. It is absolutely essential that we constantly compare our own conception of God against the reality of who God is as revealed in his word. It is absolutely essential, he says, that we constantly compare our, con our concept of God. We compare that to the reality of God as he reveals himself in Scripture. We'll get back to that thought in a little bit. But look at the result. When somebody looks and says, there has to be a God. My conscience tells me there is a God. Creation tells me there is a God. I know that there is a God, but I choose to exchange that for a lie. Look at verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they become, became fools. They, they say, if I can, I'll come up with my own thing. My own thing sounds way smarter than this. And my own thing makes me seem, seem wise. This seems like a better option. And so I, you know, I'll come up with my own theory on things. They think it makes them wise, but when they refuse to glorify God for who he is, they actually become fools. Uh, unbelief robs God of his glory. Romans, a Romans 1 mindset doesn't treat God with the honor that someone like him is due. The way Jim Berg says is it diminishes our view of his unique excellence. God is unique and he is excellent. 
He is, he, there's nobody like him, and there's nobody as amazing and excellent and as high as God is. And when we don't give God the glory that he deserves, we rob him of his unique excellence. He becomes in our minds, and pay attention here, because we're, we're coming to the application. I don't want you to miss it. He becomes in our minds no better than the, create, the creatures that he made. Essentially, we begin to view him through the same lens as we see ourselves. And it's dangerous to view God as we see ourselves. You know, for instance, you know, if, I, if I'm weak, and I know that I'm weak, and I, I, you know, I know my limitations, but if I view God without giving him glory, the way that I view myself is how I start to view God. If I view myself as weak, then I will start to view God as weak. If I know that I'm not trustworthy, I know that I can blow it, I know that I can make mistakes, but if I view God without giving him his proper glory, what this, this passage is saying is that I start to view God like he's untrustworthy. If I'm unforgiving and I have a, tr- a tough time letting things go, well then God must be. If I'm unloving or I'm unkind or I'm unwise and I exchange the truth of God for a lie, don't be surprised if I begin to view God as unloving or unkind or unwise. And you say, I would never do that. But according to Romans chapter 1, unbelief has a way of making us so vain in our imaginations and darkened in our hearts that we don't even know we're being deceived into something different. See, unbelief deceives us and blinds us so so that we can't see the truth. And what he says, what he's saying there is that, that their imagination is vain and their, their understanding or their heart is darkened. What The idea here is when they profess themselves to be wise, they become fools. The idea is that if you do this, you can fall for anything. If you convince yourself that God is less of a God than he really is, then there's really no telling what you're going to fall for. There's really no telling as to how far down you're going to go with this. The temptation of the sinful mind is to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And that's the first step to disintegration. And that moral disintegration is the source of noise. That unbelief regarding what God is like is what causes us noise. And so listen, so here we go. We're going back to the original thoughts. Therefore, then what's the answer? If our understanding of God, that unbelief, if, we're, if our perception and reality are so far apart, if that's the problem, then what do we have to fix? We have to fix our thinking. We have to fix our knowledge. We have to go back to the knowledge of God like Peter talked about and Paul talked about. And to repeat the quote I read a moment ago, it's absolutely essential that we constantly compare our own conception of God against the reality of who God is as revealed in his word. You know what we need? We need continuous stabilizing truths to combat our noisy souls. Continuous stabilizing truths. So the idea, the illustration that came to my mind today is if you're walking on a tightrope. And so... If you ever see somebody, well, I mean, slack lines now, the kids do the slack lines. But if you're walking on a tightrope, you have in your hand, you've got this bar that balances you. And as you walk, if you start to go this way, what do you do? You use the bar to bring it back this direction. And you're walking, you start to tip this way, what do you do? You use the bar to bring it, I'm going to literally fall over on the floor. I don't even know how that happens. This is like a field test here. 
You know, so you're walking along and you ba constantly balance yourself. Well, see, this is a picture of what happens with anxiety and fear and worry. You see, what happens is we, we're walking along and anxiety, something causes, some thought, a troubling thought, a noisy thought comes into our mind. And so we start to go this way. Well, you know what happens is most of us don't have any kind of plan to stabilize ourselves when we start to go this way. We don't have any truth of God armed in our ammunition that we can pull out and help stabilize ourselves. And so we just keep going that direction and we fall right off the rope. We're walking along, we've got another thought, another fearful thought that comes into our minds, another thought, an anxiety-inducing thought, and it comes this way. We don't have anything to stabilize ourselves, so we've, now we fall that way. We need some stabilizing truths in our lives that we can go to anytime these thoughts come and start to cause us to knock us off the rope. We need some stabilizing truth. What are some stabilizing truths that we need? Well, uh, here's a good one. God is always good. Always. And that means that he'll always meet my genuine needs. Always. I mean, in this very text, we, Philippians 4, uh, the next chapter from where we started, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If you view yourself like God, if, if you view your God through your lens, you'll assume he can't give you that kind of strength because you don't have that kind of strength. But that's not glorifying him for who he really is. So the gap between our perception and reality is uh, there's unbelief there. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and it blinds me to the reality of God. So when it comes to some situation in my life that's difficult and I think is unfair and I'm thinking where is God right now and I start to do this, if I don't have the stabilizing truth in my life that God is good and he's good to me all the time, I'm just going to tip over one direction or the other. It happens all the time in our lives in that we, we come across a situation and we think, well, God's not good to me. And we just over to one side or over to the other side. And yet Philippians, Paul wrote, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We know that's true. And yet in the middle of it, we don't go to a stabilizing truth like that. We just let our anxious thoughts carry us right off the rope. And the reason you think God doesn't care about your problem and won't meet your needs is because you've stopped glorifying him as God and you've brought him down to your own level. A, a verse, a good stabilizing truth would be like, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what all these things are? All these things are my phone bill. All these things are my grocery bill. All these things are the doctor's appointment I have next week. All these things are God, you know, taking care of my family when they're not around. And, you know, those are all these things, all the peripherals. And we start to worry about those things. And we start to fret about those things. And yet, if we would have the stabilizing truth in our mind and remind ourselves, no, if I seek God first, he's going to take care of that bill. And he's going to help me with that doctor's appointment. And he's going to help me with that test. I have to remember the stabilizing truths or I'm going to fall off the rope. God is always good. He will always meet my genuine needs. That's a stabilizing truth. And you know what sounds remarkably familiar to the truth we looked at on Sunday night out of the book of James. God is good and his gifts are good enough for me. You know what Sunday night's message was? Sunday night's message was an attempt... To, to fix that, that unrealistic view of God. 
It's a stabilizing truth that we need. And you need it this week. You need it tomorrow. You need it the next day. You need this stabilizing truth to be reminded that God is good and his gifts are good enough for me. So when you're feeling sorry for yourself that God hasn't given you what you think you need and he's not being fair to you. No, you need something to bring you back. You need a truth like like Sunday night's truth to remind you, no, God is good and his gifts are good enough for me. And you know what's interesting about that is there's plenty of times as a pastor where I'm thinking this is a truth this person needs. And guess who's not there the night it gets preached? You know, some people, they discount the importance of church. They discount the importance of the teaching and preaching of God's word. And so on and off, they're coming or they're not coming. No, listen, you never know what night you missed that God had the exact stabilizing truth that you need to face what you're going to be dealing with tomorrow. Don't discount what, and that's not about me, that's about the sovereignty of God working in these things in, in ways that I'm not planning for, or preparing for, but you just need them. Don't just, don't discount it just because it's inconvenient or that's what everybody else does. No, we need stabilizing truth. I'm telling you, uh, we need church, we need the Bible, we need preaching, we need teaching, not less these days, we need it more and more as we see the day approaching. Because I'm telling you, everything on this side is pulling us off the rope. And if you only one time a week show up to hear the preaching and teaching, you're not going to have much to combat what's happening the rest of the week. You need these stabilizing truths. And listen, it's not just on me, it's on you too. It's on you opening God's word and you studying God's word. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but you know, again, I'm feeling feisty tonight. So what's another stabilizing truth? He'll always forgive my sin. Always. First John 1 John 1.9, say it. But if we confess our sins, right, I heard a lot of this, but I think I, I think you got it. You know, I need that stabilizing truth. Because I'm telling you, when I blow it and I mess up, the last thing I want to believe is that God wants to forgive me. I want to beat myself up, but to carry a guilty conscience after I've confessed my sin, that's unbelief. Because it means that I know the truth about God, but I'm not operating as if it's true for me. That gap is widening, the unbelief is growing, and the noise is coming. And maybe you say, I have a tough time forgiving and letting things go. Uh, So maybe, do do you apply that to God? That's not how God is. Uh, That's unbelief. That's exchanging the truth of God for a lie. There are so many of these truths. You, you, could go, you could say God is always up to something good in my life. Always. That's a good stabilizing truth. Romans 8, 28. We could, we could read verse after verse. I've got lots listed here. But I think you're getting the idea. Here's another good stabilizing truth. He'll always love me personally. Always. Jeremiah 1, 31, 3. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Romans 8. He says, for what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he gives a list of things that should be able to, but they can't because Christ's love is really powerful. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has already proven his love for you. So why in the middle of a situation and you think, well, God doesn't love me or he wouldn't let this happen. He's already proven he loves you. He did it on a cross and you need a stabilizing truth to bring you back over to this side. He'll always, here's another truth, he'll always give me the grace I need, always. Uh, Jesus Christ told the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Paul obviously had a limitation and he didn't feel like he could overcome it and he, and he felt very limited but God said no my grace is able to overcome any of your limitations and any of your weaknesses. If you feel overwhelmed at your work to do what you're supposed to do or to be a witness like you're supposed to be or, or to do a job or ministry like you're supposed to when you feel overwhelmed and you start to tip this way you need to remember no God said my grace is sufficient. And, and my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I need a stabilizing truth like that in my life. Because it is easy to feel like we're incapable and we're, we're limited because we are. But if God calls us to do something and he just says, I need you to do this. This is what you'll do as an obedient child of mine. Then we have to think that he's going to give us the strength and fuel to get it done. God is always in control. Always. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Sometimes I, I think we operate as if God only rules and reigns over certain things. But the Bible says he rules over all. That means he, that, listen, he's still on his throne and he still rules uh, at your workplace. He still rules in your home. He's still capable. He's still sitting on the throne. There's nothing outside of his jurisdiction. There's nothing he can't do. What's another stabilizing truth? He's always present with me. Always. Whither shall I flee from thy presence, David said. And depending on your spiritual condition, that's either encouraging or terrifying. Whither shall I flee? God, when I'm right with you, thank you for that. What I'm not doing right, um, I don't really want you to see that. What's the stabilizing truth? He's always the same. He doesn't change. We talked about that on Sunday night. I am the Lord, I change not, he said in Malachi. There are so many um, truths that can stabilize us when we're starting to lean and fall off one direction. But it's essential that we labor to know these truths. We must work at it. We must work. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to end there, get close to ending there. I don't want to... You know, sometimes Baptist preachers say finally and they don't mean it. So I'm not going to say that. Here's how you labor to know these truths though. You know where you need to start? You need to study the Bible for yourself. You need to open God's word and find out what God says about himself. If you're struggling with a thought about God or understanding something about God, study it, dig, explore, work at it. Don't just expect somebody else to do the work for you. Dig, study. You know, the, the, the fact, I'm thankful for the fact, you know, it used to be in big denominations and the Catholic Church and other things that, that having your own Bible wasn't something that was even allowed. Well, now we have our own Bible and we have it in our hands and you have probably multiple copies at your house and there's no reason for you not to study it for yourself. Say, well, I just don't feel like I'm getting enough teaching on this or that. Well, study for yourself. Open God's word. Dig in. Memorize these truths. Memorize the verses. Meditate on them. I read a verse this week that really caught my attention. It says, Paul told Timothy about uh, the, the instruction about being a pastor. He said, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. So... Paul's idea of meditating, he says, meditate on these things, give thyself, thyself wholly to them, and then when they start to change you, everyone's going to be able to see it. 
So sometimes we view meditation, I'm like, okay, meditation is a five-minute process at the beginning of my day. I'm going to think about this verse for five minutes and done, stopwatch, I'm out the door. That's not meditation according to Paul. Meditation according to Paul is you find a truth, you give yourself wholly to meditating on it, and you do it until it changes you and that change is evident to other people. That's meditation. It's not a quick process, but it's one that we don't do very much because it takes time and it takes work, but just to find a truth and just think about it and consider it and write about it and talk about it. One that I wanted to look at tonight when it comes that we, it's essential that we labor to know these truths. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. One thing that we ought to do also is test every stray thought of our heart against these truths that we know about God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3. It says, but for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the, what? Knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now this is, these, and I don't have a lot of time to look at this, but you know what Paul is saying here? He's saying the thoughts that you're having, the thoughts that are trying to pull you down one direction or the other, those thoughts, you need to test those thoughts that come into your mind. And you need to compare them to the knowledge of God, what you know about God. And if they contradict what you know about God, refuse to give that thought any more time in your day. Again, too often, we're, we're walking along and the thought comes along and it tries to pull us off the rope. And rather than having a counterbalancing thought, a truth from God's word that will fight against that thought that's in us, we don't have anything to fight against it and we just kind of live there. We dwell there. And we let that thought go over and over and over in our minds. We let that thought affect us. We don't test that thought against what we know about God. For instance, you know, God, God doesn't love me. Well, if you had some verses ready that show God does love me, and you start quoting those and thinking about those and reading those and studying those, you won't very long continue to dwell on the thought that God doesn't love you. We must be in the habit of doing these things. To reject these truths is to believe a lie. God can't always be good and sometimes not. God can't be always in control and sometimes, well, no, this one's too big for him. No, he changes not. and There's no variable that's neither shadow of turning. God can't always be trustworthy, but sometimes, you know, you got to watch this, this, this person. No, that's not God. If he's, always, if he's trustworthy, he's always trustworthy. If we reject any of these truths about God and begin to live as if they were true, then we have believed a fantasy and our own process of disintegration will begin. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And if you don't listen, if you don't believe right, nothing good will come out of your life. Your belief or your unbelief is the single biggest determining factor of how your life will get, is going to be lived for God. 
Unbelief is the primary cause of noise in your soul. And if there's a gap between your concept of God and the reality of God, be prepared for noise. But grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So just closing thoughts. What truth about God have you doubted to the point of believing a lie? What is it that when, you, when things are hard, what is the, the lie that you ter- tell yourself? What truth about God are you doubting that, that, that caught to the point of believing a lie? Well, here's what I would recommend. Labor to find the knowledge of God, the stabilizing truth to counter that thought and embrace it so that your noise can be done. Now, how committed are you to learning and knowing truth in order to combat the unrest in your soul? It, makes, it takes more than just to read a verse. It takes study, it takes memorization, it takes meditation. It, I mean, talk to people about it. That's a good way to learn about God's word and be convinced that it's true is just to go meet somebody for coffee and talk about something. Open God's word, read God's word, enjoy the truth together. And then, and then on your own, compare your thoughts to the truth that you know. And when a thought comes in that is contradictory to what you know about God then you say, get that thought out of here. I don't, I'm not going to give that thought any more time in my day. Listen, because if you want victory in these areas, then you can't, you can't expect to get it without some effort. And you, you also can't expect to get it just a couple times a week at church. You need your own walk with God. You need your own knowledge of God. It can't be my relationship. It needs to be yours. It can't be, listen, I can't be 24 hours a day with you. You can't, there's nobody in this room that's 24 hours a day with you except for yourself. And so the knowledge has to be your knowledge. There'll be some day that comes along and you're by yourself on that rope and the thoughts come and there's not going to be somebody there to rescue you. So you must determine tonight to labor and put in effort to increase your knowledge of God. That's the only way to combat unbelief And it's the only way to get rid of the noise in our souls. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.